0: Love-hate relationship with social media. Um, I don't know if there's anybody in here that can uh, can uh, relate with that, but uh, at least I have a love-hate relationship with social media, and uh, you know I, I love it on one hand uh, because it is nice to be able to stay in touch. Uh, with people that uh, I grew up with, people, uh, family that we're not able to be with or, or stay with uh, that live uh, uh, up in the Northeast where we're from. Uh, I love being able to, to maybe stay in touch with uh, uh, folks that I went to college with, uh, friends that I had in ministry, folks that have been here before and then have left. Um, and so it's nice to be able to stay in touch with people like that. Uh, get I, I like uh, being able to get updates about events and reminders that are coming up here at the church and, and uh, uh, you know, I, I like, certainly God used it over the last six months or so to, to be able to connect with people and the opportunity to, to uh, be able to still watch services even though we weren't able to be in here in person. I think probably one of the best reasons that I have social media right now uh, is uh, every so often I get these updates, and you probably get them too, and maybe you're like me, but when you get those birthday updates in your notifications, that's the only way you know when people's birthdays are. Um, I'm sorry, if you're not on Facebook, I probably don't know when you're, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, but I like being able to know when people's birthdays are, because I see the birthdays, it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I'm not going to say if I've ever done that with a family member, uh, but uh, we'll just leave it there. So, so there are things that I love about social media, but I said I had a love-hate relationship. And there are lots of things that I hate about social media, and I'm sure probably a lot of you feel the same way. Uh, but I hate, one of the things I hate about social media, besides many, many other things, but is when I think I'm having a perfectly good day, and everything has seemed to be going marginally well. It's at least not raining. Um, I have caught mostly green lights on the way to work. Um, I was not greeted with some nasty email or meeting that I didn't know about when I got to work Um, but then I get on social media and I see somebody who's having a even better day than I am I think man my life sucks and you have that love-hate relationship with it Uh, let me say this to you and this is the first statement there on your hand handout the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to uh, to kill something special is to compare it to something else. And, and at least for me, I don't know if this is the way it is for you. At least for me, it really, it really, for the most part, doesn't have to do with, somebody, with what somebody has compared to what I have. Um, you know i don't really worry about the vehicle that somebody else has i don't really worry about um, the uh... the technology that somebody else has I just got a brand new phone yesterday so all of you can be jealous of that uh... but uh... i, I don't really worry about um, you know the home somebody else has I, i'm not I'm, I'm not really comparing that i'm not really uh... worried about comparing what what you know somebody else where somebody else goes you know uh, this is one of the reasons why social media can be a thing that's hated too. you see those people on social media that have gone on their third vacation of the year uh, you know they're, they're in Disney World every other week come on everybody has friends like that everybody sees people like that on social media you know about the only place that that uh, some of us are going for vacation is you know El Backyardo and uh, that's, that's about it um, so it's not but, but when, I, when I look at other people and, I, um, and I'm comparing my life to theirs it's not necessarily what they have and it's not necessarily where they go but it's what they do at least for me that gets me the most and uh, I like to think that you know There are lots of things that I can do. And that's being generous. But there are lots of things that I know that I cannot do. And there are lots of things that maybe I wish that I could do, that I certainly cannot do. I I would like to think that I am handy-ish around the house. Don't ask my wife. Uh, I would like to think that there are are some things that I can do around the house. and, And there are probably some things that I have tried to do around the house that I should not have done. Uh, but I look at other people who are, who are more handy, you know? Ruben over here, who's building entire homes by himself. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, get the word out. Uh, but, but some of you, you're much more handy than I am. Uh, you know, Jonathan, he's able to build computers. He's got that, that electric, electronic, technological mind. Uh, Jacob works on, on engines uh and uh is a mechanic and, and I, I don't have that skill. Uh absolutely not. I've tried to do some things in my vehicles. Uh I end up just getting very mad saying things that I regret and have to pray a long time uh when I try to do that. Uh because I can't. Um, my wife is very creative. My um, hand in the same way and, and they can you know, see something and, and design it on a computer or draw it and it appears on the paper exactly how they thought that it was supposed to. I don't have that. I absolutely cannot do that and uh, so that's something else that I can't do. Uh, I'm just being real transparent with everybody here just so you know all of my faults um, and, then, and then I'll tell you this and this probably seems silly. Uh, but one of the things that I cannot do, and there are some in here that would attest to this, I cannot play basketball. Uh, I cannot, Luke, don't say anything. Uh, I, I cannot, uh, I have tried many times. I've enjoyed it when it's just been me and a couple of guys that are friends and going out there and trying to shoot the ball. Uh, I, I struggle with sports where I have to do two things at once. Uh, you know, if, it, if it's a sport like football, uh, you only have to worry about, you know, running and then catch the ball and then run again while you're holding the ball. Uh, You don't have to move the ball around and run down the court and then try to judge the trajectory of the ball so that it goes into the basket at the right. I'm sorry, I can't do that. I do not have those skills. Um, And and there are some things that others, others of you in here can do that I cannot do. And the reason, and, and, and for some of you, you may look at other people. You know, you may look at people who have that creative ability. You may look at people who have that that handyman capability. They're able to fix things. They're able to do uh, stuff around the house. Uh, somebody who has a musical talent. And you look at what those people are able to do, and you think, man, I but the reason that you can't do what someone else can do, in some cases, is you weren't called to that purpose. You weren't called to that purpose. And so today uh, in this lesson, we're entitling it, Stop Comparing Your Calling. Stop Comparing Your Calling. Let's pray, and we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for your your many blessings. We thank you for the beautiful day that you've given us to be back in your house. We thank you, Lord, for the great couple of days we had here with many ladies that came to be encouraged in the ladies' conference and for the blessing that that was to them. And God, in this, this time right now that uh, we have together, we ask that you'd please speak to us uh, to confirm our calling. Uh, Lord, to uh, make us confident in the fact that you have created us for a purpose and that you have gifted us and enabled us in order to be able to fulfill that purpose. And Father, I pray that you please give us peace in our purpose. Keep us from being focused on others. And their purpose and comparing our purpose to theirs, our calling to theirs. Father, I pray that you please help us to be focused on you. God, I pray that you bless the service that will follow with our guest speaker. I pray that, uh, God, you would please give him wisdom and power. And, and, uh, Lord, that we would know your presence in the service, everything that would be done uh, to your honor and glory. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So let's review what we have talked about over the last three weeks. We said uh, there is a reason... Uh, And that has been the title of our series. And we said the first week uh, underneath that, that sometimes God's Preparation comes packaged as pain sometimes God's preparation comes packaged as pain and as a part of the process of God's purpose and bringing his purpose into our lives and helping us to fulfill that uh, there are times when we have to go through pain and suffering trials and testing and then last week we looked at three principles of purpose we said number one your purpose is not for you it is for God. We said, number two, you don't find your purpose, you serve God's purpose. We said David uh, served God's purpose, and God's purpose came to him. And by doing that, to serve God's purpose, we serve God's people. And so today I want to add two more statements uh, to that. First of all, number one, you are perfectly created by God to fulfill God's purpose for you, you are perfectly created by God to fulfill God's purpose for you. Uh, you're in Ephesians chapter number two. Look at verse number 10. Ephesians chapter two and verse number 10. The Bible says, For we are his workmanship. His workmanship. We'll come back to that verse. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That word workmanship that's an important word. That word workmanship means that we are a product. It has to uh, do with and and kind of leans to referring to a a woven tapestry. And of course, we know that fabric uh, in these days, whether it was used for clothing or whether it was used for decoration or rugs, uh, fabric had to be woven together and fibers had to be chosen in order to get those, uh, those ornate elaborate patterns. You had to be very careful and choose exactly what threads and what colors would go there uh, go where as you were weaving this and so God says you are my masterpiece you are what I have woven together everything about you your physical abilities and your your personalities and and your strengths and your weaknesses everything about you has been woven together to be my masterpiece uh, I, I love thinking about that because it tells me that it is not and, and you and I are not mass-produced, uh, we did not come off an assembly line where God took a machine and just said, one, two, three, four, and just produced us all the same. No, God made sure that every single one of us was unique and important and different. We were not created like everyone else, and we were not created for the same purpose as everyone uh, else. We're created for a purpose that God set in order long before we were born. Uh, that word workmanship, it comes from the Greek word poema, poema, And from that word is where we get our word poetry. And so God is saying, you're my, you're my workmanship, you're my masterpiece, you're what I have crafted together, you're what I have woven together. You're the poem, the poetic masterpiece that I have taken and I have selected the, the exact right words and phrases to create the life that is yours now. God says, I have created you as my masterpiece. We know that everything God creates, he creates ...for a purpose. There's no accidents. There are no mistakes. There are no leftovers. There were no throwaway parts of creation. God didn't get done with creation and say, well, I've got all of this power over here. I'm just going to throw something together. He may have done that with cockroaches, but I don't know. Uh, But there are no throwaway parts in creation. The Bible says when God finished creation in Genesis, God saw everything, and it was what? Very good. It was very good. If God had a little bit of leftover, if God had just kind of thrown something together last minute or as an afterthought and, and, and kind of left it off to the side, how could God say what He had created was very good? No, God had created everything on purpose. Uh, there's a bumper sticker floating around. I don't know if I've seen it in a very long time, but you may have seen it. But it says, God don't make no junk. God don't make no junk. And that's terrible English, but it's good theology. Uh, God creates everything on purpose. Your birth, listen, your birth, the fact that you are here living and breathing, suck and win, your birth is evidence that you were created for a purpose. There's no other you. Thank goodness. For, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, there is no other you. There's no substitute for you. You are the one that is designed To fulfill God's purpose for you. Go to Psalm 139 with me. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says, this is of course David talking here. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee. David says, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, David said. He's not talking about all of us even though it applies. He's talking about himself individually, specifically on his own. And the same thing can be said for each and every single one of us that are here. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We've talked about that word wonderful, mean, uh, what it means before. But the word wonderful means always fresh and new. And so God said, when it came to you, I took a fresh new blueprint. I took a fresh new plan. I took a fresh new moment. I took a fresh new look. And I said I am going to create this person I am going to create June and I am going to create Jonathan I'm going to create Connor I created every single one of you differently uniquely fearfully and wonderfully look at verse number 15 my substance was not hid from thee how I'm put together when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth thine eyes did see my substance again how I'm put together yet being unperfect David said, you saw me before I even came together, even came together in my mother's womb. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. David said, God, you saw me put together. You saw me all as I should be before I was anything. God, you saw me. Look at verse 17. How precious also. Are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them? And we love that verse, and that's a great verse. The fact that God thinks about us, the fact that God has plans for us. But do you realize in the context, David is saying those thoughts came before I was even born. Those thoughts for me, your plans for me, God, came before I even came out of my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made because you're created by God can i say this can i because you're created by God specifically by God for God then do everything for God's glory do everything for him uh, don't be worried about trying to compare yourself to someone else and trying to look at what someone else has and trying to impress others and trying uh, to to reach a certain level of acceptance In order to to feel like you've proved something, to reach a purpose, don't do it for the approval of others. Don't try to please them. Uh, Don't try uh, try to, to be accepted by that elusive they, thinking about who they, what they will always say. Listen, comparison is the enemy of calling. Comparison is the enemy of calling. Now, why is that? Look at number two. You can't fulfill God's purpose for you when you're comparing to someone else. You cannot, It's impossible to fulfill God's purpose for you when you're comparing it to someone else. Look at me, look look at me, look with me, excuse me, at John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Because I think in this, in these last couple of chapters of John, we get a glimpse of what happens or what Jesus thinks about comparing your purpose to somebody else, comparing your calling to someone else. And in John chapter number 20, we see the relationship. Of course, this is a chapter all about Jesus' resurrection in the book of John. It's a wonderful story. Obviously, we love it. We we praise the Lord for his resurrection. But in the midst of that, we see another relationship that is brought to the surface. And it's a relationship between Peter and John. And if you don't look at it closely, you miss it. And Peter and John are in this chapter And and certainly when we think of the core of the disciples, when we think of the core of the disciples, the ones that were with Jesus all the time, the ones that went with Jesus on top of the Mount Transfiguration, the ones that, uh, you know, were the leaders of the 12 disciples, who do we think of? Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. And I wonder, you know, James and John were brothers. And certainly if you've had, if you have siblings, especially if you have brothers. I didn't have any brothers. I had three sisters, but I think I can relate. There's a natural rivalry that arises there. There's a natural rivalry uh, that arises there. Daniel, you probably can attest to this, having an older brother, um, even though you're better and smarter and, you know, yeah, of course, <laughs> but uh, There's a natural rivalry. So I'm I'm imagining that at times there was probably a rivalry between James and John. But I wonder, and again, this is just speculation. This is just me thinking out loud. I wonder if there might have been a rivalry between John and Peter. Now, I don't know that for sure. Uh, The Bible never says for sure. But we do see in these two chapters, John 20 and 21, where... John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will seem to bring some sort of a rivalry or a comparison between the two of them uh, to the surface. Now, one of the reasons why, and again, this is just me thinking out loud, one of the reasons why Peter and John may have had a rivalry is when you read John, how does John refer to himself? Do you ever read that? In fact, look at it with me. Look at verse number 2, John chapter 20. It says, then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, that's John, but then he qualifies it, whom Jesus loved. got to love those people. John, and, and, and obviously I say that a little facetiously because John is writing that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it could have been that the Holy Spirit told John, hey, write this, that you're the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John's like, oh, people are not going to like that. But he wrote it anyway. And, 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 and John refers to himself in the third person. And, and if you know anybody that refers to themselves in the third person, you have my permission to slap them uh but but please don't do that so john is is writing about himself and there and there seems to be some kind of a rivalry or at least a, a, an element of comparison that god brings to us in john chapter number 20. so understand context of john chapter number 20 jesus has been uh crucified he's been in the grave three days it's early on sunday morning he's going to be resurrected the ladies have gone to the tomb mary goes to the tomb she realizes that it's empty So now she has to go back and find the disciples but I want us to look in these first few verses of John 20 in, in, in the context of the fact that Jesus is risen. And I want us to see how many times that Peter and John are compared to each other. How many times that there is a comparison between the two. And remember, okay, all right, we're going to read this. John 20, verse number 2. Remember, okay, tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. And we're going to learn that John is faster. Uh, verse number 2. Then she runneth... And cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, there it is again, and say to them that they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him, verse 3. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. Look at verse number 4. So they ran both together, okay, they're running together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. Okay, so John's faster. We got that right. And came first to the sepulcher. Look at verse number six. Because it's one thing for John to say it once, but he says it again. Then come with Simon Peter following him. So John makes sure everybody knows that Peter was after him. And went into the sepulcher and see the linen clothes lie. Verse seven. The napkin that was about his head, not laying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Verse eight. Then went in also that other disciple, John, which came first. To the sepulcher. And he saw and believed. So three different times we see that it's pointed out that John was faster than Peter. And again, I don't know if there was a rivalry between the two of them, but I I think there's a reason why God makes sure that we see this level of comparison between John and Peter. And so hold with me uh, because we're going somewhere. But can you imagine? The disciples are all sitting there. They're huddled together, and they're 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 worried. They're afraid Jesus is dead. They don't know what's going on. Then Mary comes and says, "Jesus is alive!" And can you imagine if there was if there was a rivalry between Peter and John? You know, okay, those of you again that had siblings, when you had to go somewhere or you had to get something, and the first person that got it was going to be it, and you kind of side eye each other and then kind of do that fast walk away from each other, try to, and I, cause I don't even know. I mean, did Peter and John take the same route? Did they go on the same path? Did they try to take, you know, did, did, did John try to take a different road than Peter and try to, I don't know what happened. But John is compared to Peter and Peter is compared to John. And listen, you might be tempted to do the same thing. You might be tempted to do the same thing. We talked about social media before, but it's real. Someone that you see on, on social media, their life, what they have. Uh, maybe something uh, that they're doing, an opportunity that arose, a business that they started, some kind of creative thing that is available to them because of COVID and everything that happened. And you think, man, that is really cool. Or maybe it's, it's, it's a student in school and, and they're a pretty good student. Or maybe their classes are just a whole lot easier than yours. And their life looks a whole lot easier, and they're always doing something instead of having to spend the time that you're working on homework and studying and all this good stuff, and you're comparing yourself to that. Uh, Someone who has a relationship, and either A, you don't, or B, their relationship seems to be a whole lot better than yours. And it's it's smoother, and it's easier, and they do cooler things, and they spend a lot more time together, and, and you're comparing yourself. Someone who has more followers, who has more opportunities, who's in better shape, who uh, has more money. And we compare ourselves. And the Bible says that that is not wise. And I think there's a reason why Jesus and the Holy Spirit made sure that we see, at least to a degree, a comparison between Peter and John. Because obviously we know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, uh, Peter denies Jesus. That's a part of his preparation. That was a part of God's purpose to prepare him for what his purpose was. But but in this moment, Peter's been away from that for a while. And so Jesus and Peter have to have a powerful encounter after the resurrection so that Peter can be reconnected with the purpose that Jesus has for him. And in John chapter 21, we see that. And we won't take time to read it, but we know that, that Jesus comes to John and Excuse me, uh, Jesus comes to Peter and three different times he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, well, of course I do. And he says, feed my sheep. And we won't get into all of that conversation. But Jesus is reconnecting Peter with his calling, with the purpose that he had for him. But we get to the end of that. And I think this is why God shows us the comparison between Peter and John, because then After Jesus has tried to reconnect Peter's calling with him, with his life, Peter still has to compare. Look at John 21. Look at verse number 21. John 21 and verse number 21. Peter seeing him, talking about John, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus has just reminded Peter about what his calling is and and the fact that that he's supposed to love Jesus and he's supposed to feed his sheep and he's going to be a great leader for Jesus. And Peter says, well, ho, 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 Jesus. What about this other guy? What's his purpose? Maybe I will like that better. What's his calling? Maybe it'll look better in my life. And look what Jesus says, verse 22. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Jesus says, Peter, don't you worry about his calling because I've got one for you. Don't worry about his calling. Don't worry about his purpose. What's yours? Jesus says, as for you, Peter, I want you to follow me. I want you to feed my sheep. And I don't know who is in here this morning that needs to hear that, but stop comparing your calling. Stop comparing your calling. Stop comparing what you were not designed to accomplish. And I'm not talking about not having goals and trying to grow and become a better person. But if God has a purpose for you that is different from somebody else's, do not compare it to them and wish you had theirs. You cannot fulfill God's purpose for you when you are comparing it to someone else's. We said at the beginning the fastest way to kill something is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill a relationship. Uh, The fastest way uh, to kill your contentment. The fastest way to kill joy. The fastest way to kill a dream is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill your calling is to uh, compare it to something else. You are perfectly created by God to fulfill His purpose for you. Perfectly created. And I love what God says in Hebrews 12 about our focus in that. Uh, look at Hebrews 12, verse number 1. Hebrews 12, verse number 1. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The race, the purpose. How are we going to do that? Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. How are we going uh, to run our race? How, how are we going uh, to stay in our lane? How are we going to accomplish the purpose that God has for us? We're going to look. To Jesus we're gonna to look to Jesus we're gonna fix our eyes on Jesus we're not gonna to run to try to please people we're not gonna to run to try to keep up with somebody else we're going to run to look to Jesus you know it is it is impossible listen it is impossible to win someone else's race it is impossible to win someone else's race we have to keep our eyes on Jesus so that we can run and hopefully eventually win our race now I've said this before, I am not a runner. I do not run. Uh, I try to walk as much as possible. Uh, But I do know that if there are any in here that have done running and you've run races, maybe competitively, I do know that the fastest way to lose a race is to look around you and behind you. The fastest way to lose a race is to look around you And look behind you. The only way that you're going to win a race and run it completely is when you're looking at the finish line and you're looking at the end. Because when you start looking around and you start looking behind you and you start comparing yourself to the other runners around you, you start slowing down or you lose your focus and you trip yourself up or you fall into one of them, you've got to keep your focus on ahead. Now, can I be real transparent? Because I don't want you to just assume as I say this and say and think that I don't struggle with this, that I don't have these same issues. Because I'll be honest, um, there are lots of things. This, this is probably one of the biggest things that I struggle with personally. To be real real transparent with you. I struggle with comparing, and I have for a long time, and I struggle with looking at, at other people's ministry and the opportunities maybe that they have. And I and I maybe compare somebody else's the opportunities they have with, with music and, and I am so thankful for the ministry that God has given. To us here and the people that God has sent here. I'm so thankful that. But, but I, I can look at other people and maybe opportunities that they, they have in places that they serve and, and compare and think that I'm not doing a good enough job or, or I wish I had X, Y, or Z. I can look at, I tell you, one of the areas that I struggle with the most is with looking at, at other campus ministries who maybe have different opportunities than we do, have a different situation on campus, who have, they're closer to campus, or, or they've been on campus longer. And I struggle with that. And I look at that and I get discouraged or I get frustrated. But I can't do that because that's not my race. It's not my calling. Uh, it's, not, it's not my purpose. I have to remind myself that nobody can do what I am called to do. Nobody can do what God has called me to do. Uh, Nobody else in this world can love my wife like I can love my wife. Nobody else in this world uh, can lead at this point in time, can lead the music ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church like I can. And and I don't want that to come across prideful, but but that's the purpose that God has given me. Nobody else uh, can lead... Uh, the singles and college students of our church and, and try to reach singles and college students uh, here in this area and in our campus uh, like I can because that's God's purpose for me. So what are you doing? I'm running my race. What are, what are you doing? What, what is the purpose that God has given to you? What, what is what is what is God given to you to fulfill right now, the calling that he's given uh, to you to fulfill? You know, is it is it right now to be going to school and, and to be passing classes and and to 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 be finishing uh, whatever that uh, looks like for you and to be doing it the best of your ability and to be a testimony for Christ while you're doing that? Uh, is it is it working a job uh, here in the local area and and working it to the best of your ability and being uh, the, the kind of worker that is going to be pleasing to Christ? And a witness to those that are around you and, and to be a blessing in your community, and then being able to give back to the Lord because of how He blesses you? Uh, is, it, is it leading a classroom, uh, being a teacher in a classroom, and having uh, young, men, uh, young boys and young girls and even young men and young women who look up to you, uh, who, who are looking to you uh, to give them guidance and instruction, both educationally and spiritually? Uh, is it serving in the local church here? Is that part of your calling? Uh, Whatever it is, you say, well, man, I wish I could do that, or I wish I was talented enough to do that, or I wish I had an opportunity to do that. What is the purpose? What is the race that God has given you right now? We've got to keep our eye on the prize. Let me finish by saying this. We looked at Ephesians 2.10 earlier. Remember, God said, you're my workmanship. You're what I have perfectly created, woven together, planned uniquely, individually, For a special purpose, because look what he says. He says, you're my workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Created to good works that what? Which God hath before ordained. We're created to good works that he's prepared for us to do. You're created for a purpose that God has already established for you. You're perfectly created to fulfill God's purpose for you. You're created. Listen, we've said this before, but you are where you are right now, perfectly created and, and established to reach those that are around you. And that's a part of your purpose. You are there for a reason, for a purpose. Um, you can't win every race, but you can win yours. You can't fulfill the person who is sitting next to you. You can't fulfill their purpose, but you can fulfill yours. And so as we finish up with this lesson series, there is a reason. I want you to know that God works everything together. Pain, trouble, temptation, testing for a purpose. To prepare us for the purpose that he has for us. And as we we focus on Jesus and our purpose, our calling, we can run that race and know our purpose.